Between recording the next episode of my podcast, running a business, and all of the things life throws my way, sometimes it's good to just get away. Hola, ¿qué tal? It's Chiquis here. And let me tell you, I love booking a trip where I can escape. There's nothing like spending a few days at the beach, relaxing and spending time with family. No matter what kind of traveler you are, and no matter your reasons, the Delta Sky Miles Platinum American Express card is the way to go. If you travel, you know. When you buy a new house, you might say, Shut the front door! Winning! No, seriously, shut the front door. We own this house now. But you actually need to say, Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. That's right. The local State Farm agent is there to help you choose the coverage you need. Welcome to my crib. <laughs> no one says that anymore, but I don't care. So just remember, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm, Bloomington, Illinois. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy last year by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hello, welcome back to Connections with Eva Longoria. I'm Eva Longoria. And today we are going to explore our connection to the media. The media. I don't know why I always go into an Oprah Winfrey voice, but I'm excited about this conversation because my industry, my art is in the media. And I've just been so fascinated with the changes over the last, honestly, every year, it's not only a tiny change, it's like a crazy change. What we like and what we watch and who we watch and when we watch and how we watch, what we pay attention to, all of this has changed within probably the last 20 years, a lot the last 10 years, super a lot in the last five years. And so I think what has happened is audiences now have a very participatory role in how we create and how they want to consume media, what they want to consume. And then add on top of that social media, right? That social media component connects our conversation and that connected conversation changes audiences. And so I think that's what's defining the media environment today. When I say media, I mean all of it. I mean TV and film and music and news and blogs and, of course, social media. And we've seen it work on behalf of good, but sometimes it's bad, right? And so what should our relationship and connection with the media be? Love it or hate it, it's here to stay. It's going to continue to evolve at lightning speed. And I don't think there's a better person to have this conversation with than my dear friend, Gloria Calderon-Kellett. Gloria is an actress, a writer, producer, director, creator. She's worked on shows One Day at a Time, How I Met Your Mother, Jane the Virgin, Devious Maids. But recently she has Amazon's With Love, which I love. And of course, so much more. I can't even list your whole damn resume because it's so big. But I love that so much of her work focuses on sharing positive stories of underrepresented groups. So I'm so excited to welcome to the show, Gloria Calderon-Kellett. Hello, Glow. Hello. I kind of went Carol Channing. I don't know what, what that was. We're just <laughs> bringing in the greats. The great divas are all taking place. How are you? I am well. I cannot complain. I cannot complain. <sighs> So tell everybody, where are you from? And tell them about your roots, because I love your Cuban roots. 
I am the daughter of Cuban immigrants. My parents came here in 1962 from Cuba and they were in Miami for a year. What a lot of people don't know about the Cuban diaspora is that during Operation Pedro Pan, which was 1960 to 1962, over 14,000 Cuban children came to Miami. Miami is largely because of the Cuban population that came. So it was really just orange groves and it was not super developed. And then as Castro did not get kicked out of Cuba, many of the families were able to then come. And so both of my grandparents were able to come on the freedom flights, but there was no infrastructure for all of these parents of these 14,000 children. So various churches all over the country took in Cuban families. So yes, the vast majority were in Miami and Jersey City, but we were everywhere. So my mother's family, my father's family, and about 30 or 40 other Cuban families all landed in Portland, Oregon. Wow. So I grew up in a lovely, thriving Cuban-American community in Portland. And then when I was 14, we moved to San Diego, California. And then I came up to Loyola, Marymount University in Los Angeles for college. And then I went to grad school the University of London in London. Yeah. But when did the interest in the industry, and in because it was acting first, right? Was Before writing? First. Yeah. College. I think it was in college. At that time, there was just nothing for women. I couldn't find a lot for women. So at first I thought, oh, this is going to be the problem. There's not enough for women. And then when I came back from grad school with this master's degree and like proper drama school, I went to proper British drama school. Guess who gives no shits about that is yeah, that, that and $2 will get you a bus pass. Yeah, nobody cares. In England, they really care. In England, it's what drama school did you go to? In LA, it's what restaurants you work at. So I was like, I am a proper trained actress. Give me Shakespeare. And they're like, uh, just kidding. You can have gangbanger number three. So every, every audition, every audition was gangbanger's girlfriend or gangbanger sister, maybe prostitute if I was lucky. And it was like, really? This is what? Like my yeah. brain was sort of, exploding. Yeah. I always got the, could you do it more like Rosie Perez? Oh my God. And I was like, I, oh, I don't, I'm not from New York. Yeah, I don't right. know what that, <laughs> I didn't have an accent, but I looked the way I looked. So I was yep. too white for the Latin roles. I was too Latin for the white roles. And then finally they go, Longoria, what is that Italian? I go, yes, yes, it is. <laughs> yes. And I got so many roles as an Italian. <laughs> I mean, it's bonkers what has happened in the last 20 years in this industry. It is like coconuts. So yeah, so it was just so I, out of deep frustration, I was like, I'm just going to start writing. I'm just going to start writing the stuff I want to do. And mm. the writing was really what set me free. And I, I was writing, I was doing stand-up, which is when I met you for the first time. You came and saw me in the Gower Gulch do stand-up. And I put up monologue shows, all female monologue shows, different women, all shapes, sizes, and colors. And I hustled really hard. So like I found out that the Hudson Avenue Theater on Santa Monica Boulevard is dark on Tuesdays and Wednesdays. So Backstage West and LA Weekly will review your show if you have a six-week run. So I was like, how much for Tuesday nights for six weeks? And they're like, I don't know, 150 bucks? Awesome. So I booked the space. My boyfriend at the time, my now husband, who's a cartoonist, made the posters. I went to Vista Print and got the postcards made. I gave free tickets to all of my favorite charities. Putting up that show was how I got my manager. Did you come to any of the plays? I think I did. 
uh, in Santa Monica. I remember this. But you know what? That was the game. I, I did the same thing. I did it at the improv. And I was like, I'm going to book some comedians here. And they were like, you manage the door. We got the bar. You got the this. We split the thing. And I said, great. Uh, how much is it? And then I remember going, I need a sponsor. And going out and asking some Latino lawyer to give me 300 bucks so I could pay for the... And I said, I'm going to put your name on stage. It'll say... Miller Law Firm presents. <laughs> and he's like, little girl, here's $300, just go away. <laughs> but we were hustlers. We're still hustlers. Like, how does this hustle never end? It never ends. Oh, it never ends. so waiting to be on the yacht with my feet up. Where's that? I know. How do you think TV has changed the most? Not TV, media. I mean, it's like now we should just call it short form and long form, right? Like it's content and... You can watch it on your phone. You can watch it on your iPad. You can watch it on a wall, project it off your watch. I don't know. Like, <laughs> so what do you think is the biggest change? And then I want to ask you, what do you think the biggest change for you as a creator? Like, how does that change make you pivot to, to cater to that? Yeah, that's the ever-evolving question. Well, the first one, how has it changed is there's more stuff, which is great. More stuff means more opportunity, and I'm here for that always. But more stuff also means less eyeballs at any given time. So the last hit I was on that people were talking about as a hit was How I Met Your Mother. And I remember we would get a 2.5 and be like, oh, oh no, 2.5 is not good. Cut to now something's a 0.5 on network and a hit, right? <laughs> so it's like, wow, that's just 10 years. That's just 10 years. And where did all those people go? And the idea of appointment television feels like it's really just for maybe reality shows or sports events. Like right. that's really mm -hmm. the only stuff with the exception of the Game of Thrones every once in a while that people are consuming at the same time in real time. Mm -hmm. And so media in terms of, you know, I love Faviana Rodriguez and she is just a cultural ambassador in terms of studying culture shift, which is the work that you and I are in. We really yeah. take this as storytelling, but we also are aware of the power of this medium in terms of changing perceptions about our community. So she studied in particular and does an in-depth, I think it's on YouTube, so please watch it because she's so much more articulate. But she did a presentation that I saw where she was talking about the LGBTQ community marriage equality and how it takes about 10 years for something to hit culturally and then permeate into culture so that it has effective change on policy in DC. And mm -hmm. she specifically looked at Ellen, Will and Grace and how there is a direct correlation between when those shows came out, how it affected culture and changed how people felt about the LGBTQ community and led to marriage equality because suddenly- 10, these, 10 years later. 10 years later. But how yeah. these people being in your household and you being like, oh my God, they're just like my family. Whatever that was, the cognitive dissidence changed. It shifted something in culture. And so I was thinking about my parents, right? My parents and their journey here. My parents came in 1962 mm -hmm. and when they came, they were put in detention facilities, but they were given soap and blankets and places to stay and comforts. And yes, the Cuban experience is still incredibly painful and they were away from their parents and there was a lot of trauma, 100%. But in terms of their treatment from the government, it was very different. And then I was like, I wonder what was happening in the country in 1952, a decade earlier. And oh, the number one show in America is I Love Lucy. So a Cuban American is in everyone's households. 
being funny and married to the white lady who's hilarious and having the funny accent and seems really innocuous, right? So it's Mm. like, oh, interesting. Had Desi Arnaz not been on TV, would these 14,000 Cuban kids not have been able to come here? Maybe. And am I sitting here right now because of media? Maybe. So then we look now at the silos and this was a time when everybody watched I mean, the amount of people that watched Desi Little Ricky be born, right? Born, yeah. Most of the country. Yeah. And now we have these media silos, these echo chambers, where you can find something that's really bespoke to you that you find interesting. But I think that there's a direct correlation between the brokenness of where we are as a country and the brokenness of how we don't consume the same stuff. Mm -hmm. So- It's really different, especially in the last five years. There are so many shows that I have not, like there were shows that I was hearing about that got picked up for a fourth season on Deadline. I'm like, there were three other seasons? What is this show? There's so much out there. Yeah. And so from one perspective, it's giving more opportunity. That's exciting. It's allowing other storytellers to come forth. That's exciting. But it is also segmenting the community. Yeah. Hola, ¿qué tal? This is Cheekies from the Cheekies and Chill podcast. For whatever reason, or absolutely no reason at all, sometimes we all just need some time to turn off and get away. A lot of times on the My Cultura podcast network, our storytellers share their adventures and tips for living our best lives. And why not? With the Delta Sky Miles Platinum American Express card, you can easily check off all those dreamy destinations. Como la playa que viste en ese show, or climbing that mountain on your screensaver. I see you. No matter what kind of traveler you are, and no matter the reason, the Delta Sky Miles Platinum American Express card is the way to go. If you travel, you know. When something happens to your car, you might say, No! My car! But what you really need to say is something that can actually help. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. And just like that, State Farm is there to help you file your claim right on the State Farm mobile app. So, just remember, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm, Bloomington, Illinois. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and... Producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. As much as we can build it and they will come, sometimes the audience doesn't come. And you're like, where is our community? Come on, show up in a powerful way in droves. Flex that buying power muscle. There's an engagement that is not happening with our community and media. What is that disconnect and how can we as creators change it? I think what you're doing with love is beautiful because you take the ethnicity or race off of it and it's a beautiful family and people are living lives and like... It's your perspective that makes it special. But at the same time, this this is a family who has kids. They're aspiring adults and have careers and working hard. And 
It's, it's so beautiful. We should normalize that, right? Like we're not all gangbangers. You know, I did this movie called Sylvie's Love and it was a love, love story. Love Sylvie's Love. Well, that writer said, I want to do a movie where, and it was almost an entire black cast. And he said, I want to do a movie where, you know, being black isn't the obstacle. <laughs> and like, how many movies do you see that your race is your obstacle? And he goes, I just want to do a love story. I want to do a story about these two people who just can't get it together and be together. And it was beautiful. And so I feel like you're doing that with love. And I think that with everything that you do, but it affects culture. It, it, it really leaks over. And so what you're saying is like the segmentation of like, I only watch these niche shows and yeah, we're living in our own little bubbles. Yeah. And it's so interesting because I brought up Sylvie's Love when I pitched with Love. Oh, yeah? Yeah, because I watched that movie and it made me realize how conditioned I am to hold my breath because I think something bad is going to happen to the black people. Mm -hmm. I was, I kept on waiting for this, like, oh God, oh no, oh, they're turning the car. Oh, it's okay. Oh, okay. Oh my God, this is going to. I, I'm so yeah. preconditioned. Yeah. And it was yeah. like, boy, that speaks to how we're so terrified something bad is going to happen to them. And then when nothing did and it was just their stuff, the relief that washed over me was palpable. And <laughs> I wanted that same thing. I wanted that same thing for not just the Latinos on the show, but the trans characters on the show and the gay characters on the show and the Asian characters on the show. And getting to do that was great. And it was funny because a lot of the reviewers were like, they're so happy. And I was like, yeah, because yeah, that can happen too. <laughs> that can be a reality too. You just, y'all aren't used to seeing it very much, but that's how we're like, we're confused. Are. We're mostly having a pretty good time out here, y'all. It's just, you guys don't see it very much, but that's, that is what's happening. So I am fascinated by this conversation though, because I do think it is all connected as well. Is it about empowering our communities more? I think a big point that you just made is the conditioning of TV's not for me. I don't really see myself in it. So I'm going to go elsewhere for my content. And so when you deliver something, when there's a Hentified or a Selena or a With Love or whatever show that is inclusive of our community, we miss it because we've been conditioned to not go to that well for that water, I think. Because you do a great job at engaging your audience. You're on Twitter, you're on social media, you're doing press junkets, you're on a panel, you're flying to Chicago to go to the National Council de la Raza because you got to, you're like, okay, yeah. what else could Gloria possibly do to scream from the highest mountaintop? Like, we're creating content, please come. How have you found that journey? Well, it's exhausting. What was really kind of amazing was with One Day at a Time, I had Mike Royce and Norman Lear by my side. And mm -hmm. to see them acknowledge, there was one day that I came back from, I had done some panels and some interviews and a podcast and, at the, and then I came into the room, but I had done all that in the morning. And Mike's like, okay, why don't you take a breath? Guys, room, let's take a break. I'll fill in Gloria on what we talked about for the last 30 minutes. And we went into his office and he was like, I just want you to know, I see that you're doing five times more than, like, I want you to know I see. And I just burst into tears. Because just being seen, just having somebody, a dominant culture, white man who's lovely and supportive and has been my partner, just to have him say, I see that it's harder for you, was kind of incredible in a way that I didn't know I needed to be seen. I just needed mm -hmm. the acknowledgement of 
yeah, we're trying to shout it from the rooftops. Not only that, I feel like we've also seen the studies on the damage of the narco-novella narrative within our own community, stuff that our community loves to devour that's bad for them. And yet they still yeah. consume it. So we're also saying, you're eating junk food. Please also eat some broccoli, guys. Please also put broccoli into your brains. But yeah. that takes time to make that type of shift. And so when you and I talk about it, like we're out there talking about it and engaging with them. And when we're engaging, they're like, oh, because these conversations haven't been had with them. And social mm -hmm. media, I've been really fortunate that Twitter has been really a lovely place for me. I know it can be such a dumpster fire for so many people, but I've yeah. loved engaging and even engaging with people who are angry. If it's yeah. just die Latinos, I'm not going to engage in that, obviously. But if it's, yeah. here's why I'm frustrated. I've started to engage on a personal level with those people and say, here's what you don't understand that we're doing on this side. That's so hard. So we need a little bit of grace from you too. And I feel like your anger is justified. However, we are like, it's a daily battle in here. Yeah. And what I want to do for this next generation is I want to try to unlock what are the difficulties, because I definitely see specifically women of color, not just Latino, mm -hmm. we see it categorically with black women all the time, that they're dying younger because it has a cost on our bodies. It has a cost on our mental health. And uh, to do this work, to do the to activism, do this work, to do yeah. this work. So how can we make it so that this next generation it doesn't have to cost them as much physically, mm -hmm. mentally, emotionally. And how can we engage the community to see not just the Latinos, but those people like the Norman Lears and the Mike Royces who are powerful cis white men who also want this work because they know it's the right thing. They know it also mm -hmm. makes things better, but how can we make more? How can we yeah. engage more? And does media in its current paradigm foster that? TV was very archaic. There's development season and then there's a hundred pilot scripts and they make 10 and they put one on the air. Like it's the dumbest, most wasteful amount of money the way network television cycle was. Obviously the disruptors in that was a good thing because as a content creator, okay, then I don't have to do that over here. I can just go do this over here and over here and I can be a YouTuber in my house and sing a song and get a record deal now. I don't need to go through the proper channels of creating media the way you gatekeepers say I need to create it. And so do you feel like our industry is in a place that welcomes your agenda? Are we in a place yet? Is the industry in a place yet? Or are they still a bunch of, we got to jump over the Ivy League wall? <laughs> Not, think not go like, through the door. It's both, right? Are there people that care more than ever before? Yes. I do think there are people that understand the importance of it. Yes. I don't know that they've properly been able to identify how to do it in a way that is lasting and has long lasting effects. I think at the beginning of this pandemic, we were seeing a moment of culture shift where I felt like I was seeing on Twitter, let's support and read black writers and black voices. It felt like, oh, okay. And then now I feel like there's this faux white awakening where it's like, I read the book last year, racism is bad. And then everything's kind of the same. <laughs> so it's yeah. like, well, wait, <laughs> wait a minute, wait. 
you know, like, oh, Latinos are not on TV. It's awful. Anyway, let's cancel three more shows. So <laughs> that's where it's like, wait a minute. I don't, yeah. how was this, how, what? That's what I want to engage in. And I want to engage in a honest conversation too with them, which I think they're a little afraid to have generally. Like, who is this audience they're trying to get? How are they not showing up? Can we think more holistically about how to engage with them? And I want that for voting too, because I want to register these people to vote. It, like you said, it, it affects everything. It affects yeah. everything. So I feel like it's better and worse. It's better mm -hmm. and worse. I know. I hear what you're saying. There's no clear answer to it, but at least we're facing the right direction. I don't know if we've taken a step but before we were like, whoa, and now we've turned and we go, oh, okay, it's this way. Got it. Okay. Now we've got to take that step. And we got to educate gatekeepers that make all this media happen. But at the same time, we've got to become the gatekeepers. We've got to do both though, because I feel like now I think the gatekeepers are listening. But like you said, if we're saying we want to bring these people to you and then the people aren't showing up, then we have to turn around and have a conversation with the people. And I don't know how to do that other than the social media stuff that I've been doing. But so many people aren't on social media. How do we reach them? That's the stuff I am super interested in trying to investigate. And it's also eyeballs per dollars. I'm hearing that more and more. It's got to be a certain amount of viewership per dollar amount for anybody who's making anything, which is why we are in a moment where it is IP, it is Marvel, and it is blowing up and superheroes and books and Game of Thrones and Lord of the Rings, like those are the things that are a lot of money because it's an already existing thing. So the awareness part of the marketing is done for them because that's one of the things they're trying to figure out is who has awareness of the project so that when it comes out, they'll watch it. And mm -hmm. that's what I think Disney has locked in with Marvel is that we all know, even if you don't watch all that stuff, I know who all the superheroes are. Yeah. I hear what you're saying. Do you feel like I've always wondered this, I, I feel like I've created content this way too, is like, we have a job also to combat news media. Like in your job as a creator, another segment of our media is news and that negativity, just bad news. And do you feel the anxiety to have to really fight against that machine? Yeah, I do feel that. With Love it came out of the pandemic. It was literally, my Instagram feed is a barrage of trauma. It was Asian hate was on the rise all the stuff with George Floyd and all of the stuff with police brutality, all of the stuff with Latinos that were also in LA specifically also part of police brutality and not to mention the children at the border and the separated families. This is what I'm scrolling through, scrolling through, scrolling through, scrolling through. And I'm like, I just want to make something that's a salve for this moment. I want us to just watch something where we're dressed up and we're having a good time and we're dancing and we're having a cocktail and people are just having fun and thinking about things like love and jobs. That's all I want to make in this moment. And it's like an exhale. I wanted to make something for these communities that would be an exhale where they could watch it five times if they want to and just laugh and see people fall in love and lots of makeouts and flirts and lots of cute boys without their shirts on and whoo, and just exhale for a moment before having to return to this heavy trauma-filled, collective trauma-filled moment. Yeah. Hola, ¿qué tal? This is Cheekies from the Cheekies and Chill podcast. For whatever reason, or absolutely no reason at all, sometimes we all just need some time to turn off and get away. A lot of times on the My Cultura podcast network, 
our storytellers share their adventures and tips for living our best lives. And why not? With the Delta SkyMiles Platinum American Express card, you can easily check off all those dreamy destinations. Como la playa que viste en ese show or climbing that mountain on your screensaver. I see you. No matter what kind of traveler you are, and no matter the reason, the Delta SkyMiles Platinum American Express card is the way to go. If you travel, you know. When you buy a new house, you might say, Shut the front door. Winning. No, seriously. Shut the front door. We own this house now. But you actually need to say, Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. That's right. The local State Farm agent is there to help you choose the coverage you need. Welcome to my crib. <laughs> no one says that anymore, but I don't care. So just remember, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm, Bloomington, Illinois. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and... Producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. What do you think our relationship with the media should be? And as media creators, are we adding to the problem? I think with all things... We should be mindful of what our participation is in it. I think the problem is people are so exhausted that what they do want from media is to turn it on and zone out, whether it's good news or bad news. And unfortunately, in this time, what we need to do more than ever is engage. And I think that people are tired, so engaging seems like more work than they want to put in. Yeah. But I did read, it was some political book, and it was about our system, our society is set up to make us work so hard. Look at today, some people have four full-time jobs to make ends meet, and that our society in the United States is set up to make us work so hard, we don't have time to think of politics. I don't have time to think of the environment and recycling. I can't even keep my head above water right now because we're working, 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 working. And so it's designed that way. And that was an aha moment for me. I was like, oh my God, you're right. Even me, I'm like, I'm just too busy to think of it. And if I'm privileged enough to live where I live and do what I do, imagine families who really can't think about that stuff. Like I cannot think about my local politics. I'm trying to keep my head down and my feet moving and pay my bills. So then how do we better engage with those people or make it easier for them to engage, change the message in some way so that yeah. we can help them to become more engaged? Yeah. What do you think about in the media about wokeness? Do you think there's been an overcorrection of like, well, here's a good example, the being the Ricardos and the backlash that Javier Bardem received for not being Cuban, wonderful actor, wonderful actor. But as a Cuban, were you offended? Well, this is where, and, and I was so disappointed because it didn't seek to engage further in the complexities of the conversation. So for me, I think a thoughtful way to have the conversation would have been to dig in because the digging in is 
that the Arnez family are descendants from Spain. So they came straight from Spain to Cuba. So while Desi was born there, his parents were actually Spaniards. Mm. So from a 23andMe perspective, having a Spaniard play him is not actually problematic. For me, what's problematic is that accent better be stellar Mm. because that's the shift, right? Mm. So that's the complexities of that conversation. Would I have preferred it had been somebody like Danny Pino? You bet, because I love him and I think he looks like Ricky and I think he's talented and wonderful and he is Cuban. But we have to look at the complexities of it wasn't like the Arnez family was three generations in Cuba and has Taino blood and is like many Caribbeans are. This is really a first generation thing. So it's a different conversation. We're so starved that when something's about us, we want it to be about us. We want us to capture every single element. And I had this on one day at a time with Justine and Rita, the amount of Cubans that came up to me and they're like, really, you cast two Puerto Ricans? And I was like, yes, I did cast two Puerto Ricans. Here's why. I saw everybody. I saw everybody. But you need to know that we have eight weeks to cast. Okay. We have a limited timetable. We need people that are at a certain level that have reached a certain space in order to be approved by the powers that be that are above us. Show me the Cuban EGOT that's 80 years old. I want them to exist too. They don't. Yeah. You're telling me I'm not going to Rita Moreno play my mom when, by the way, they look like twins? No, I'm going to get Rita Moreno. And if my 23 and me and Justina's 23 and me, virtually identical. We're straight up Caribbean. We are black. We are Taino. We are like... So the difference is her great-grandparents stopped in Puerto Rico and mine stopped in Cuba. But that's it, right? So as we are doing this type of storytelling, we have to give grace to those Mm -hmm. that are trying. And it's hard. In the heights, right? In the heights. Like all of it is two things can be true at the same time as well. We can honor like, oh my God, we never get a movie musical about Latinos that's brand new. And oh my God, that's so exciting. And shoot, why couldn't there be more Afro-Latinos in it? Two things can be true at the same time. Yeah. And so we yeah. need to engage in these conversations in a real way and say, oh, wow, I'm going to take a look at that. Oh, I did have a blind spot about that because of X. Yeah, well, John Shu re- responded beautifully. Lynn Manuel responded beautifully was the whole point of In the Heights was to be seen. I felt like I wasn't being seen. So the fact that I caused somebody pain of not being seen hurt his heart. But also one thing can't solve 200 years of bullshit. Like we need 20, 50, 100 things to make up for the lack. So we walk in as creators constantly doing our very best to represent, but also we have to justify it to the powers that be for other reasons. So again, it's about having a conversation with the population and explaining, here's why this is tricky. Here's why this is hard. Here's why we needed to make these choices. I think just having respect for the people and also admitting that this work is going to take time and we can't do it alone. Mm -hmm. And that one thing is not going to fix the 200 years. A lot of things is going to make a tiny dent. And so we need to keep doing this work. Also, there's been so much where you have not been listened to. There's been so much where you have shown up and had your heart break. How can we rebuild trust? How can we make you feel like if you come here, you're going to be safe? And that did end up happening with one day at a time because we had time. So with time, everyone was like, oh, you did get to tell this story. 
You did get mm-hmm. to tell the story of your Cuban mother coming here. You did get to tell the story of colorism within the Latino community. It just took a minute. And this is where creators are key in a way that it didn't used to be, right? It didn't mm-hmm. used to, people didn't used to know even who created the shows. It was really yeah. about the actors that were at the forefront. And we yeah, are yeah. really in a new moment with the Shondas and the Genjis and the Joey Soloways and the Tina Fey's. We are now aware of the power producers, the power showrunners in a way we weren't before because suddenly we care about who yeah. is telling the story, which is part of our Dear Hollywood initiative. For those that don't know, go to the Untitled Latinx Project and we have a Dear Hollywood letter that that we have put out. But all of that is part of the same stuff. We are trying to engage to use this amazing tool that is media for good. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 100%. I think that's what we have to do is use media for good. There's too much negativity in the world. So I ask everybody at the end of the show, what's a book everybody must read? Like, it doesn't even have to be about media. It could be anything. You know, I'm I'm reading a really interesting book right now called Being Mortal by Atul Gawande. And it's about aging. And I'm not all the way through it, but it's fascinating. Mm-hmm. And yeah, because that's the one I'm currently reading, I'll give love to that one, Being Mortal. <laughs> Awesome. Thanks, Gloria, so much for coming and joining us and connecting with us on our show. There's so much more to discuss. We could go off for two more hours and I could just sit here. We're going to need a cocktail soon. Oh, my just goodness. To- I'll drink some <laughs> that you sent me. <laughs> well, thank you, Gloria, so much. What a great conversation. So good. So You're good. You're just too smart. Thank you so much for listening. I'm happy to be connected with you. Connections with Eva Longoria is a production of Unbelievable Entertainment in partnership with iHeart's My Cultura Podcast Network. For more podcasts from iHeart, visit the iHeart Radio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. When are you an American Express member? When you travel with the American Express Platinum Card and have access to Centurion lounges at over 40 locations worldwide, you're a member. When your American Express Platinum Card gets you seated at exclusive tables at renowned restaurants through Global Dining Access by Resi, you're a member. When you arrive at live events through dedicated American Express Card member entrances at select venues, yeah, you're a member. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Voy a ponerme la vacuna Prevnar 20 porque estoy en riesgo de contraer la neumonía neumocósica. La cual pudiera llevarme al hospital. Así que preguntaré sobre Prevnar 20. 65 años o más, puedes estar en mayor riesgo de contraer la neumonía neumocósica. Pregunta a tu médico o farmacéutico acerca de vacunarte con Prevnar 20. Vacuna conjugada antineumocósica 20 valente. Una vacuna de Pfizer que puede ayudar a proteger contra la neumonía neumocósica con una sola dosis. Prevnar 20 está aprobada para adultos para ayudar a prevenir infecciones contra 20 cepas de la bacteria que causa la neumonía neumocósica. La aprobación continua puede depender de un estudio de apoyo. No uses Prevnar 20 si has tenido una reacción alérgica grave a la vacuna o a sus componentes. Adultos con sistemas inmunitarios debilitados pueden tener una respuesta reducida a la vacuna. El efecto secundario más reportado fue dolor en el área de la inyección. Para más efectos secundarios comunes e información completa de prescripción, llama al 1-855-213-2138 o visita Prevnar20enespañol.com. Pregunta a tu médico o farmacéutico sobre Prevnar 20. When something happens to your car, you might say, No! My car! 
But what you really need to say is something that can actually help. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. And just like that, State Farm is there to help you file your claim right on the State Farm mobile app. So just remember, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm, Bloomington, Illinois.